everybody, folks. Top of the hour, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, March 13th. I guess the good news is it's not Friday, but you know what? Does it even matter at this point? Guy Adami here, joined today in the entirety of the show by the great Carter Braxton Worth. Dan, as you know, is on a much-deserved, well-needed uh, vacation. Hope he's doing well. Hope he's having a drink as we speak. This market call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tomorrow. They're also our data provider. We had a great conversation earlier today. I believe it's dropping in your favorite podcast store with Danny Moses, Liz Young, and Dan Nathan. Our Friday, our Monday pod dropped. We're going to have a busy week. Carter's going to be with me again on Wednesday. But CBW, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, as we were saying just moments ago, this is a day for everyone. Bulls, yeah. bears, and pigs. You can find something in the trough, whatever your view is. That's exactly right. And, you know, when you see, obviously, the VIX has come in a bit. We'll talk about that. but And we're going to look at some of the comments out of Morgan Stanley. But when you see the VIX get north of 30 is typically when you start seeing these wicked intraday moves. And I don't want to get too granular here or too wonky. But in my past life, that's something that we call negative gamma or bad Greek. That's basically the lower the market goes when you're short options, the more you have to sell. And then conversely, as it goes to the upside, the more you have to buy and you effectively chase your tail. You obviously don't do that in low vol periods um, and you're getting paid to take that risk. But then on the flip side, when things go pear shaped is when you pay for it. But that's neither here nor there. Mike Wilson making some comments from Morgan Stanley. And before you all pile on the rabbit here, you know, Mike Wilson did say in that tactical call a week and a half or so ago that he thought the S&P could trade up to sort of 4150 I think it got up to 4080, and I'm not here to be an apologist, but you know it's tough to make such a small, short-term tactical call in the midst of what's going on. I think his point was, look, we traded down to the 200 moving average, 3940. We held, we bounced. It made sense for the market to bounce. It did. It didn't bounce to the magnitude that he thought. But again, there's no science here, and it's this is a tough game. With that said, I'm going to read. So apologize, my eyes. We suggest selling any bounces on government intervention to quell the immediately the immediate liquidity crisis at Silicon Valley Bank and other institutions until we make new bear market lows at a minimum, Mike Wilson wrote in a note on Monday. You can read the rest of it. Um, but Carter, sort of thoughts on that, because I believe it sort of lines up with your way of thinking. You brought a number of charts. They're going to show where we are, but just thoughts on this note quickly. Right. I, I mean, I think you have to a couple things when you start hearing the, the no landing. I mean, think about yeah. that's impossible. Every plane and because it's about planes, right, uh, has to land. You run out of gas and no landing when that that's sort of hubris. Right. That's cocksure. Once you hear that, you can almost think, well, it's hard landing. And, and now financials, of course, they're only 11 percent of the S&P, the sector and Berkshire and J.P. Morgan themselves are about a third of the sector. So two pretty saver or big names, but they are the transmission mechanism for the economy. Mm -hmm. And all the great plights in in life on the personal balance sheet and in the corporate balance sheet of the government is always debt related, right? And so uh, we are, it's not random that the government's stepping in. I mean, they're practically nationalizing deposits. But the issue is um, intraday, like right here, there are people and perfectly valid who are making the interpretation that this is an incredibly bullish day. And there are people making the case, and I'm talking to them, these are big institutional clients, that this is a very bearish day. And mm -hmm. think why. For us to be unch at one point up um, is incredible. And one could say in, in, in the circumstance that we have now, where you have 
banks a bank run um, to be on is amazing. That just shows that there's not a lot of downside. Conversely, other people say this is just the you know the beginning. There's always the sort of the next domino, and that even if it doesn't get worse, what's the thesis for going up? And that's really where I stand. It's not so much about do we have a lot of upside? Could the market make it? It's it's that sideways to down in my estimation covers 90% of the odds. It's been the case for a year and a half, and I think it will remain the case for the coming year and a half. I agree with that. I see a comment from Starry. I love how spicy guys' Twitter was last night. Yeah, I was um, a bit spicy last night. I actually sort of bit my tongue a number of times. But the reason why, you know, it's interesting you say that. There's something for everybody today. And if you're, if you're inclined to be, and it's a, it's a tough, I, I'm almost hesitant to use the term, but if you're inclined to be bullish, you look at today as like a home run. Oh, my God, we've staved off defeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the government has our back party times ahead. And if you're bearish, you're saying, well, that's the first of many shoes to drop. And again, we all have our dogma. What you do, though, with your work is you take the dogma out, you take the emotion out, and you sort of look at this thing through the lens of what a lot of people look at. So let's start to look at the charts here. Because the S&P, obviously, it's top of mind, Carter. Yeah. And, and and obviously, at some point, one has to have a view, right, and interpret the chart. And that might be prone to bias. But the charts are the starting point always. And this is the the sort of the most interesting, I think, trend line. It's one that anyone can draw and we've all looked at together, which is to say we know the market peak is for January mm-hmm. 2022. We market low for now, 13 October. Uh, 2022. And we had that move above that trend line, which basically drew in Wall Street. Wall Street Journal put bull, new bull market. New bull market. Because it was up 20%. And no one knows where that came from. But either way, a lot of people flipping. And then that's what traps are. It's not their fault. I've been in so many traps. I got traps all over. But the point is, that's what makes it so hard. It's it's an illusion. It's a, it's a in the in the desert. You think it's water and it's not. It's just more sand. And that's what this is, right? Now let's draw the lines a different way. And so maybe we can toggle on those first two. Mm-hmm. You know, back and forth, back and forth. We've 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 broken trend, the intermediate uptrend line since the October low. So if we were to put those together, um, one could say, all right, so what the what what do we do with that? Well, the truth is. You just expand your trend. So look at another way to draw it. Just expand them. We're still basically grinding. The S&P 500 right now is the exact same level it was essentially uh, two years ago, 24, five, six months ago, in fact, more than 24 months. And it's not really getting worse. I mean, and it's not really getting better. It's just sort of stuck, which either is uh, a reason to do nothing or to try to generate alpha by finding individual... um, picks, right? Yeah, it's interesting. Eric Lancelotti, who's been with us, I think, almost every show since we started. Actually, we met his dad out in, um, where the hell were we? Miami. But he says, history shows the biggest biggest drawdowns follow the biggest bull trap. And that's interesting. I mean, I will tell you, I mean, I can't speak to that specifically. I'm, I'll take him at his word. But, you know, we saw similar things. You know, we saw it in the Russell uh, 2000, a year or so, maybe longer than that, when you had that false breakout. And you actually talked about it on our show. So, it's very puzzling. It's very confusing. But if you try again, if you try to take the emotion or if you're successful in taking the emotion out of this equation, a very difficult game becomes a little bit, well, a tad easier, I would submit, because, you know, there are a lot of cross currents. And to your earlier point, there's something here for everybody today. And, you know, when the VIX get north, north of 30, as you say, that's when you're inclined to see 
these moves. So let's continue to take a look at some of the charts you brought because you know it just illustrates, I think, the point you continue to try to make. Yeah, and Eric is right because it takes a lot of capital. Money was thrown into the market to move it up to those February 2nd highs. And that capital reverses itself. So, oh my God, it's a trap, it's a trap, which means it becomes an accelerant on the way down, right? Because it's reversing, not to mention people who never sold in the first place then join the fray. But here's the here's the expanded lines, giving you a little more room on a longer term basis. And it just puts in, if you were just given this chart and you didn't know what it was, and this was a software company or a, or a shoe manufacturer or an industrial, there's nothing about that would make you run out and buy it. At least nothing that I see. He would either say do nothing or, hey, maybe we should kind of ride this on the on the downside and be short. Um, but look at a long term, um, same thing. And then if we go even longer term, when we looked at before, mm -hmm. here is the here is the ultimate sort of talk about yawn or um, what have you, pair of twos. This is the entire 2009 to present uh, ascent. And we know that we lived within that well-defined channel and we blew out through the top. Um, in late 2021, and the valuations at that point, or price of sales, price of earnings, were at or near those seen in the dot-com era. And now we're back at the midpoint. And do we walk along the midline and walk ascend a bit? Do we? I think we dip down into the lower half, uh, which is to say, it's still not a very desirable setup. No, I agree with that. And then you have to take a look at the backdrop and what we're looking. We have obviously some inflation data coming up. We got a Fed meeting. So, and, and I know you wore this hat in a prior life, so I'm not teeing you up here to try to trick you at all because I know you're qualified to answer this. But heaven forbid um, these inflation numbers come in as expected or hotter than expected. And you have a lot of people now saying the Fed by definition has to pause but if they pause into a continued uh, inflationary period of time, I mean, where are we going to be? So just thoughts on the importance or the renewed importance of numbers that I think a lot of people a couple of weeks ago were looking at. Now, I think everybody's looking at the numbers that are going to come out this tomorrow and Wednesday, by the way. Right. It's it, it's ever thus. No one no one wants to be the person. You know, it's the first person to cut the AT&D dividend. No one wants that on their watch as the chairman. They'll do whatever they have to borrow more money. No one wants to be take take the medicine, be the Paul Volcker. I mean, think if you were to, you know, the debt, think if you were to say, well, we're, we're not going to have any cost of living adjustments for Social Security payments. You'll get a huge hue and cry from the entire uh, retired populace. So no one wants to do the hard thing. And I, and that's the human condition. We're all prone to that. And so the Fed is in a hell of a spot, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you stay firm and you risk the hard landing and you sort of acquiesce and respond to price action. And to and then you're like, wait a minute, maybe we're just going to set up an even bigger inferno. Uh, not a welcome job. And the truth is, and this is the other thing, and it, it has to be said, and everyone should know it if they don't, but most do. These are just men and women that put their shoes on on the side of the bed every morning like everybody else. They have no more information inside mm -hmm. than anybody else. They don't. <laughs> they do not. Except that, you know, well, yes. And I don't. And you're right. And I'll go off on a tangent a bit. The problem, of course, is a word you mentioned earlier is the hubris around it. You know, they think with the information they have, they're qualified to make the decisions that they make. And they seemingly think there are no ramifications for their actions. I mean, I'll talk about it on a podcast or something, but... I can link what's going on with some of these banks. And so we're going to look at the KBW in a second. Back to Fed policy. And people say, ah, you're out of your mind. You're a hater. Yes, I'm a hater. Yes, I'm out of my mind. But neither one of them make me wrong. Let's take a look at the VIX chart, by the way. We were talking about it before. The VIX got up to, I think, 3080 or so today-ish. Um, so this chart doesn't have its entirety of the move. Doesn't necessarily matter. Here we are now around 27. 
I would submit um, it's not over, although these spikes in the VIX typically portend something. I will say this as well, though. The last few moves to the upside have not been a one-day occurrence. They've typically lasted a week or a couple weeks. So I guess we're not looking to trade the VIX here. We're just looking to sort of interpret what this could potentially mean, CB Dubs. Yeah, and and to your point, you don't need the updated chart because we know that you can put it in with your eye, right? I'm doing it right now as I look at this. This is we hit 30 and change, and so uh, to to your point, guys, making the point that this is mean reverting, which it is, which is you get spikes and then it gives back, right? Because it it cannot trend definitionally, and so the question is, is the spike to 30, and we're we're sitting there right now. I think we're a little bit below that um, as of this print. Do we stay here a bit, or do we start to give back? My hunch is we stay here. I agree. Let's take a look at uh, top of mind for everybody. We're going to look at gold in a second, but KBW bank index. I mean, you seemingly the only person that talks about it um, with a relative, you know, I, I would say a relative um, occurrences more than, you know, once or twice a week. I mean, you've been talking about this theme for a while. Well, now here are the charts. So speak to this. Yeah, this is a fun one in the sense that we, we just did a look back. We had a piece called that dog won't hunt, right? Referring to again, uh, a plan that doesn't go off or won't ever work from a hunting dog that literally won't do his job. But the, the, the issue here is, has it ever, or were you ever paid, at least on this past 10 years, to be long if you were a custodian of someone's money, a mutual fund manager, hedge manager, to expose them to financials in a big way? Um, the answer is no. So the KBW Bank Index, which of course has big names like J.P. Morgan and Citibank and Wells Fargo and Bank America, PNC and U.S. Bank, it goes on and on. But look at the top panel. We know that it 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 peaks in 2017. We know it makes a low. Banks as a group in COVID, and we can they come roaring back, um, almost a triple. But look at the relative. Mm-hmm. The bottom panel is the choices one. It's like in the dot com era, there are all sorts of people I remember then. And, you know, they would say, oh, man, gosh, I'm up 22 percent this year. The Nasdaq was up 40 or something. That's that's not acceptable. It might be good that you're up 20. But if all the neighbors, the barbecue are up more, you could say, no, I don't care about them. I still made 20 percent. But it's opportunity cost. It's very, very important what one could have done. And that's not to say that we're all going to find the best, you know, not in, in, in the pile. But this is a problem chart. And if you take it back further, take a look. Now, if we go and you're like, what? So banks peak in 07. We know that. We have a financial crisis. They plunge. Top panel. The 09 low. Lehman goes under. Bear Stearns goes under. They save Merrill Lynch. And that index, BKX, has gone from 20, you can see, all the way to 150. Now, that's Mm -hmm. some good eating. But is it? The bottom panel shows the relative performance. One could have been an Apple. One could have been in DuPont. One could have been in so many other things. It's just not working. And Remember, they're higher beta. So not only is the absolute return substandard to equities and asset class, with the beta, it's even worse. And it's not just banks. If We, we might have a, an all financial sector, maybe one more. And if we don't, that's fine. Um, it, it, even financials, which include things like Allstate and Matt and Aflac and Berkshire, um, financials as a sector um, are, are just really not, not, I don't think they're a place to be. No, and you've said this for, by the way, you're not just saying this today. I mean, this is something you've been saying, and you've been pointing out this chart for quite some time. And if you just had that top chart, you'd be like, wow, what a performance off those 08 lows. Man, it's been great being in these banks. But to your point, you look at it relative to the S&P, 
It's making it's been, <laughs> it's been awful. It's been awful. And I don't think people focus on that enough. They'll look at individual stocks and say, you know, this stock went up however many percent, and that's great. Yeah, if that's the only stock that was trading, that's correct. But in the context of a broader market that's been explosive since that period, these banks have gone nowhere. And the question now one has to ask is, what happens now? I mean, do they continue to underperform to the broader market or – are we going to see a downturn in the broader market that sort of brings us back in line? And that's a difficult question to answer, but I think that's the right question, Carter. It is. I, I suppose if you have any, and it's, you know, in any real route for equities and asset class, banks underperform for the most part. But now here, for instance, this is now the whole sector, right? So this is not just banks, but again, you've got big uh, things like Chubb and Allstate, MetLife and Peru and Aflac. You've got asset managers, um, uh, you, like State Street, uh, T. Rowe. So this is the whole shooting match. Now, just look at that. We basically, at COVID, we went back to the lows of 09 on a relative basis. It's just shocking. And one could say, yes, but I want to bet on J.P. Morgan here because Diamond, the Bank of House of Diamond. Okay, I mean, there are ones that are better than others. Uh, but generally speaking, it's uncomfortable. Right? Sometimes something's uncomfortable to have to face. We all... This is an uncomfortable chart for anyone mm -hmm. who wants to make the case that financials are a good bet. That's interesting. Doug Cass is texting me as we speak, and he's saying, I'm quoting, when it's time to buy, you won't want to. And Doug is slowly layering into banks now. So it's interesting. That's sort of, I say similar, but not the same way. What I've said for so long is if you can take emotion out of the equation, and if I were to say to you, you'd be able to, able to buy a certain stock, for example, you can buy Apple at 125. Would you sign up with a trading 150? Everybody on this um, podcast would say yes. Problem, of course, is when it gets there, it's never for the reasons you envisioned, and it always looks scarier. So if you can somehow, once again, just take the emotion out of the equation, things start to get a bit clearer. And it, Doug sort of answered the question in his way, saying, you know, he thinks some of these banks might be value here. He's not suggesting, by the way, that the broader market can't continue to go down. He's sort of alluding to something that I said to Carter, that here's a level where the banks could hold in the context of the S&P continuing to go down. Just something to think about here, because I think it makes sense. Let's take a look at yields, because I tweeted something out earlier um, that the U.S. bond market, I mean, U.S. is the biggest economy in the history of the world, I think. Um, last I looked, I think we're still at that point. Yet yields are moving once again, like it's 135 million biotech stock with one drug in the pipeline. And the volatility is absurd. And this is supposed to be one of the most liquid assets in the history of mankind. But you know, speak to 10-year yields. One of the things that we've been saying, Carter, I know you have said it, is you could see yields go lower. 10-year yields go significantly lower in a form of a flight to quality and a slowing economy. And that's exactly what we've seen over the last couple of trading sessions. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, and you know, while one can have long-term views, they're they're usually prone to uh, great error and change. But I mean, by if I have a view, so to speak, it's that we're ultimately in an environment where stocks go lower and yields go lower, which is to say, a, 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 an environment where output either contracts uh, and that equities and asset class uh, don't uh, perform well. They haven't; they're unchanged for 26 months, but uh, it doesn't. It doesn't fit this sort of nonsense that if the cost of tenure money is cheap, 
I can expand my PE multiple. That's a game. That doesn't mean anything. And if that were the case, let's take that. Then when 10-year yields were down to 35 basis points, the COVID low, then the multiple should have been 400 for the S&P. Mm -hmm. you know, that, 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 that's, that's an academic exercise that is dependent on two things, figuring out what the risk rate of return is going to be, and no one can do that, and then figuring out what the earnings growth are going to be of a company, looking out two, three, five years, and, and discounting that earnings and then assigning a multiple. Stay away from that stuff. What we let's know is, <laughs> take, yeah, let's go through the charts. You brought charts a bunch. Of, uh, you know, we're, we're down to a trend line. Look, draw the lines a different way. There's the there's the, the peak uh, of June. We're kind of flirting with that. One other way. These are very subjective. You know, do we dip a little lower? You know, maybe one could say that rates are, they belong here. This is where they should be. I think they, they don't belong at four, four and a half. And that was consensus, by the way, right? Just uh, days ago before the, this little bank crisis that we were headed to the five handle. I don't think so. Let's continue to sort of, you have a couple more charts that illustrate exactly this. I mean, this goes back a few years where at interesting levels here, um, but then you have some, again, just to sort of toggle through, because I'm sure you have some thoughts on this. This is the one that sort of, this is the one that really um, stuck out to me. So talk to me about this one. Right. So this is the inverse of, uh, this is the, as though you were buying the two-year note in Chicago. It's the ETF shy, and it's the inverse of two-year yields effectively, which was the first chart. And it, it's an interesting moment. I mean, chasing it here seems a little extreme. I mean, you can see that it's literally gone from, uh, 52-week low right to those peaks of a month ago. But that's an important double bottom, and it's an important move above that downtrend line. And, uh, heck, I think ultimately the question is, is are yields peaking? And that's mm -hmm. what we have to all figure out. That's my hunch. And then TLT is another one. And this is one we've talked about for a while, that if, if in fact, what was happening, we, if what we thought would happen would happen, you're going to see – Bond yields go lower, which has happened in the form of the TLT going higher. Well, there it is. And again, this is a bit of a this is a bit of a pennant formation now has broken out. Now, the question we have to ask, I guess, will this be a false breakout like we've seen in other things or does this one have legs? Right. Or, or, or can it be both in the sense that right, it has to kind of deal with this excess of the past two days, this sort of spasm, this fear based move, and it fills those gaps and then resumes higher. But I think the important question we all have to try to answer is, have rates peaked? Are they peaking or no? And if that's the case, no, then this is going much lower and rates are going to five, five and a quarter or six on the 10 year yield. I just am not in that camp. Right, wrong or different. My view is that rates are in the process and have been peaking. Um, and are peaking now. You've been right. Now, I think top of mind for a lot of people, we did our podcast that dropped on Friday. So Friday's podcast, if you didn't listen to the On The Tape podcast, it was obviously Dan Nathan, Danny Moses, and myself. We interviewed Terry Duffy, but Danny and I had a pretty in-depth conversation about what we thought was going on. So if you haven't listened, you should. But one of the things that obviously inevitably was going to come up, what's going on in gold. So let's take a look because Gold's finally catching a little bit of a bid here, and you brought a number of charts to sort of illustrate relative performance and those types of things. Right. So again, a ratio chart is dividing one thing by another. That's all it is, which gives you a line. And it's not about the scale on the Y scale, the level. It's about the direction of the line. This is the ratio of gold to all equities, meaning the Russell 3000 representing 98% of the investable U.S. equity market. And if that line is going down, it means that gold is underperforming stocks. If the line is going up, it's outperforming. Now, there are no annotations on there. Let's put some on. Mm -hmm. That's a trend line. Let's put some arrows in there. Those arrows are pretty straightforward. Now, uh, is that random? I mean, here, here's the thing that's always so fascinating about this is like 
I'm not looking at that ratio, but someone's supercomputer is, someone's neural mm -hmm. network. Is that Jim Simons or radio? But how can it be that it bounced to the penny off that line? Because their ticket's written in some quant model. It says, if and as it touches this level, and guess what? It bounces. Put in another line. Put in the downtrend line. Now, this is what's so interesting, of course. And today, this is as of last night, this is out through the top. It is broken out from, uh, from that downtrend line, in effect, from the spike. So what is that spike? That's the COVID low, right? That stock's plunging, gold by default outperforming. And then the bottom of this chart is the peak in the S&P, right? That's literally the end of 2021, the S&P peaks um, on the 4th of January, 2022. And I wanted to be use the Russell 3000 just so there was no way to wiggle if anyone were to interpret as, oh, you know, the S&P. This is it. It's not the S&P. It's every stock mm -hmm. effectively. Another yeah. way to draw the line. 3000. I mean, that's that's six times 500. Yeah, so yeah. I can do that math, Carter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then you could call it this. You know, people like to name their pattern. It doesn't mean you call it a cup and handle. It has all the elements of the bottom. And, and so uh, final chart, just putting the downtrend line. And again, it's through that line. So all things held equal, if one has a choice, own equities here or own gold, I think gold is the answer. Yeah, and I'm just going to sort of amplify what you laid out here in terms of the gold market. You know, there can be a lot of people out there bullish gold. I don't think the market is long of gold. I threw the oven there for you old timers. And you're going to say, what are you talking about? Well, if you follow something called the commitment of traders, it suggests that people have not put on gold positions yet. And when everybody starts to figure this out, which I think they're starting to do, I think that's when really gold gets on its horse. And I'll say this for emphasis. If this Fed, for whatever reason, decides they have to pause um, in the wake of the inflation, it's still a problem. Gold's going to explode to the upside. I'm not trying to be an asshole here, and I don't speak with certainty about a lot of things. But I'm telling you, if they signal that somehow uh, they're in a wait-and-see mode. That's going to be sort of the spigot's going to be open for the gold market. So just keep that into consideration because uh, I think gold, I think it's just beginning, and I think your charts illustrate that as well. Real quick, in the sort of couple minutes we have left, um, and it's funny, getting a lot of positive comments, and I typically just sort of read the positive comments and shake my head because you know I'm not into it, but it's it's amazing how quiet some of the haters have been. But if we can pull up a Tesla chart, and I'm the first one to say it, Carter. I will tell you, when they into earnings, when they reported earnings, I think the stock was 155. I said, you got to take profits given the bounce that it had off of 103 or so. That was wrong. And I said it. But then we went on to say that, look, okay, 200-day moving average is still in play. We probably trade up to 220, 225, got up to 218, I think. We have been saying on our show, and you've been saying it as well, that the logical place for this stock to trade down to, given the backdrop, is 165 or thereabouts. Uh, I encourage people to take a look at where Tesla traded down to today. I think it was 163.86 or so. We've subsequently bounced. So, you know, again, it's okay to be wrong, but this is not, you know, this is a tough game. You got to constantly be looking at things and reevaluating, and you can't just say, well, I've got it wrong and throw in the towel. You got to continue to come out for the rounds. I mean, in a prize fight, you have 15 rounds, some are 12 rounds, but if you sit in your stool, I guarantee you're not going to win the fight, CBW. That's right. And, and you know, that level that you cited, the intraday low, one is very close to um, the unfilled gap associated with the January earnings report. It was Jan 25th. And on the 26th, Tesla gapped up 
Um, that's at 150 and made that run to 210 or thereabouts. Ultimately, I think we will fill that gap. And actually at 150, nothing wrong with getting a little long. Yeah. We'll have another conversation. We'll look at it again. And, you know, it's not I just for emphasis, we don't hate certain stuff. It's not about hating, loving. It goes back to try to taking emotion out of the equation. And one thing we've said consistently now for the couple of years we've been doing this and Carter is really a proponent of this. If you're looking for the pom-poms, um, watch a Dallas Cowboy game on a Sunday or Saturday or Thursday or a Monday, but don't watch us because we're not going to bring it. We're just going to tell you what we think through the lens of everything we're seeing. And to that end, I think we've done a decent job. The market, as Carter will tell you, has a way of humbling us all on a daily basis. And I speak with certainty about very few things, not to mention the stock market, because as we've learned the hard way, Nobody really knows. But what we try to do here, Carter, and maybe you can just take us out, is we try to narrow the playing field and level it a bit. That's right. Or, or try to, and, and that, which is to say, try to identify the things that have perspective opportunity. They don't always. And sometimes it's the exact opposite. They're wrong. But it really gets down to two things. You've got to know who you are in the market, what time frames you're trying to, to, to play in, and then also know it's not for everybody. I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting the whole thing in SPY because over time, markets go up and play golf. And that's not, I'm not saying that pejoratively for some people, but if you do want to be active and you do want to try because you enjoy it or you think you're good at it or all of the above, and I think we all do, then you have to respect levels, do your work, and ultimately over time, you will get the result that you're looking for. We are fortunate to have you. I mean that sincerely. I know you know that I mean it. Um, so thank you, Carter, for your work. It's incredible, you know, the amount of thought and the process you go through on a daily basis. So thank you. By the way, I alluded to the On The Tape podcast that dropped on Friday. It's in the podcast store. It's on YouTube. In addition to that, uh, the podcast we did earlier today with Danny Moses, Dan Nathan, and EY from SoFi is also in the podcast store. It's also on YouTube. I encourage you to listen to it. The interview with Terry Duffy that dropped on Friday, to me, is a must-listen. One of the things that he said, um, if these folks – had hedged their positions with futures, we wouldn't be talking about this problem. So one of the reasons we talk about CME Group, we talk about futures, is for exactly what's just been transpiring. So thank you, Carter Worth. Thank you to the audience. I want to thank FactSet uh, for being our data provider, for providing all the charts, also for being our sponsor. I'll be back tomorrow with Danny Moses. That's going to be interesting. Thank you, CBW. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.